this is Susan. And this is Katie. And this is Sometimes Gwen. And welcome to another episode of She Speaks Stories. And I have been looking forward to this episode for such a long time. So before we introduce our guest, I'm going to tell just a little story about how I, because I don't know Kristen personally, but how I came to know about her. Um, I have been in uh, kids ministry and family ministry since I was an intern in Atlanta in 1996, the year of the Olympics. And um, I was an intern at a church in Atlanta, but during the week, I would go to this ministry called 722 because I was fresh out of college. And uh, Louis and Shelly Giglio ran it. It was a Bible study that we would go to every Tuesday night. And while I was there, I heard about North Point Church uh, with Andy Stanley. And so I started going, and I mean, they had just started. I mean, it was like fresh, fresh, fresh. And I had, was learning from some of the people that I was going to Bible study with on Tuesday nights. Well, um, shortly after, about maybe a year or so later, I moved back to Charlottesville, Virginia. And a couple of years into that ministry, they had a conference at North Point called the Grow Up Conference. And I went to the very first one they had, and I had no idea what I was going to encounter. I mean, I was fresh from this, uh, my home church that I just adored, this little Southern Baptist church in, in Charlottesville. And I mean, that was a very traditional way of doing ministry where I was. Well, I go to this grow up conference and I walked around with my mouth open the entire time. I just <laughs> did not even believe what I was encountering. And I was watching them do kids ministry and student ministry and family ministry in such a unique way. I was floored. Well, I went back however many years they had the grow up conference. That's how many years I went. I went each of the years and like, I couldn't even believe it because you guys, the things they do on stage during the main sessions were so hilariously funny that I just couldn't even get over it. The creativity that was coming out of that place and the way they were celebrating kids, it was just Amazing. Well, I remember the very last grow up conference that I went to. I went down front at the end to talk to Reggie Joyner, who was the family pastor there. I think that was his title, was family pastor. And I went down there and talked to him and I went, This is amazing. How do we get this stuff? Like, how do we get this stuff and then go tell other churches about it? And he was like, Funny you should ask. We're working on that. <laughs> then we, our church staff, um, at B, I had gone to then moved to a church in um, Hampton Roads, uh, Virginia. And while I was there, we went to Catalyst. And while at Catalyst, um, Reggie Joyner came out on stage with Andy Stanley, and they said they were getting ready to start this Orange Conference. That they had no clue. They were throwing orange balls all over the Catalyst arena, and I was like, "What is happening here?" And they were. <laughs> I mean, because I couldn't figure out what's going on. And they said, "We are starting this new thing called Orange. We don't really even know what it is yet. It's brand new, but it's going to be for family ministry." And all of a sudden, I went, "Oh, they are taking the Grow Up Conference, and they are taking it to the next level." And I got so excited, I could not even stand it. So that day when they told us like how to buy tickets and everything, we signed our entire family ministry team up and we went the very first year and it was in this small, like it was almost like a warehouse feeling thing. Like I can't even explain to you what it was. And I can't like, Katie, you went with us because you, they were playing that game. Katie. I did. Yes, You went with us because they were playing this game with these cards 
And you were the one on our, all the rest of us couldn't figure out what to do with the cards. And you were taking the cards because you love games. And you were walking around that arena trying to find your match. Oh my goodness. You I remember, remember that? that. Yeah. Now. And at the end, the, oh. um, Sue Miller and um, Reggie and some other person, I don't know who it was, drove out in this gigantic um, Hummer or something. They put that onto the stage and they said, we're taking Orange on tour. Do you remember this? Anyway. I remember it now because yes. that's back when I was doing student ministry. So yes, that's I mean, why I went. a long time ago. Yeah. It was oh my time. goodness. And I then like the next year that. they moved it to the Gwinnett Center and all of that. Okay. So Orange has come. I mean, like it, it's, it's exploded. I mean, it's huge. So um, I'm going to get Kristen to explain what Orange is. But I then shortly after that encountered truly the visionary um, ministry of Kristen because she's changed so much about how the global church sees family ministry. And I am telling you, it, it makes me want to cry because families are connecting like they have never connected before. Kids are connecting to the church like they've never connected before. And kids are connecting to small group leaders, other adults who can, um, just have such influence over their hearts and parents are trusting these adults to widen the circle of influence around their kid. And I'm telling you, it's just powerful. So I'm going to read you her bio, but I wanted to, I just want our listeners to know that Kristen looks young and what she has done in her very young life is (laughs) profound in what it is doing to impact our, the global church, because you know, I've been now at my, this current church that I'm in, I've been here for almost 14 years and watching what Orange has done to this church, watch what it did. Yes. It is unbelievable because kids, kids are different now. Parents are different now and parents and families are believing God at his word because of the way they're experiencing life through orange. It's it's amazing. Okay, let me read her bio and then I'm gonna then we're gonna say hello to her. <laughs> so Kristen <laughs> Ivy is the co-host of the Parent Q Live, which if you are a parent and you don't listen to the Parent Q Live, you need to. Um, because it's amazing. You know who is on there? Um, I, Kristen, I think I'm right. Carlos Whitaker's on there a lot. Yeah. And actually, Carlos is going to be on our podcast in June, I think, or July. Um, but it's a weekly podcast for parents. They're amazing. They're amazing. Kristen's amazing. She is also the co-author. And this is what I'm saying. She's done a lot in her very young life is she's the co-author of 20 four books, including 18 part phase guide series. Now let me tell you about this guide series. See, I get so excited. I'm so excited. I can't even stand it. There is this guide series. I have handed out so many of these at our church. I can't even stand it. They have this book series and it's basically like cliff notes for parents and you take them and it's like, Here's what you do with the one-year-old. Here's what you do with the two-year-old. Here's what you do with the three-year-old. And then you get up to elementary and it's like, here's what you do with a fourth, a fourth grader. Here's what you do with the middle school or high school. It, golden, pony boy, golden. Like I take these books. When I, the first year, when my kids came home from Ethiopia and I was sitting here staring nose to nose with a 14-year-old, I had no clue what I was doing because I'd never parented before. That book was my breath because I was able to read because it tells you this is what they're thinking I mean I'm like it is <laughs> and I just remember thinking praise God for this I had a fa- uh, one of uh, one of my girls classes one of the moms was coming to me because she was at her wits end about her third her then third grader I handed them all of the one of these books because they were third grade parents and they were like where did you get these I'm like I know <laughs> I know they're so good 
<laughs> anyway, she's also the executive director of messaging at Orange and the co-founder and director of the Phase Project, which oh, I cannot wait for this. And I'm hoping to hear about it when we go to Orange this year because I've been so excited about this Phase Project. And she and her husband, Matt, are currently parenting three amazing and absolutely adorable children through all of their faces. So Kristen Ivy, welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> Man, Susan, I'm just going to have you on speed dial for whatever <laughs> I need. <laughs> when I need some encouragement or I'm feeling low, I'm just going to be like, call Susan. <laughs> Girl, everything is true. Everything. We, oh, it, it's just amazing what you guys have done. I think when Susan just, loves something, she loves it wholeheartedly. <laughs> Every listener needs Susan to just tell them their story back to them. You'll feel better about yourself. <laughs> well, Kristen, I really am dying to hear how you got into this work and why you're so passionate for the global church to do a good job at influencing the next generation. Like, how did that all come about? Oh, goodness. So, I mean, my background was I was a high school teacher. I love high schoolers, uh, especially sophomores. I've been volunteering in high school ministry uh, ever since I left high school, which may or may not be a great idea, um, you know, going and, and mentoring high schoolers at the, you know, with all the wisdom of a 19-year-old. But <laughs> I was, I've been working in youth ministry as a volunteer uh, just as long as I can remember. And um, and then, of course, becoming a mom and having three of my own kids, there's just a different level of concern for the next generation, for all of the kids that are going to be the future of our entire world and what that looks like. And especially, you mentioned my concern or my care for uh, the global church doing an effective job at really influencing the next generation. For me, that comes down to just a belief that there is no other organization in our communities that has the potential to reach kids and teenagers with hope, uh, a deep-rooted hope. And especially when we look at the stats of, you know, Gen Z and Gen Alpha being the most anxious and depressed generation to come through and all of these kids and what they're struggling with, what they're dealing with, what they're up against to go, what other organization exists in our communities with the ability to really shine true and authentic hope that's rooted in love, um, you know, and that's connected to faith in the person of Jesus Christ. I think it's just too important of a mission not to excel at this. And um, I think over time, of course, the work that we do at Orange has convinced me more and more and the Faith Project more and more and more and more of just how important work with kids really is, that it's missional, um, that it's part of our calling, that it's absolutely essential Every Christian, whether you're, you don't have to be in ministry or do this for a profession, you don't have to do it for a paycheck. Anybody who has faith in their life should care about the lives and the well being of the kids around them. Yeah, absolutely. You know what's so unique about what the work that you're doing, Kristen, is when I sit in those orange conferences each year, um, it is without a doubt the only conference for kids, for families, for students that I sit in that represents denominations I have never even heard of. <laughs> I mean, like Reggie will get yes. on stage and say, we have 4,012 denominations. I mean, <laughs> I mean, obnoxious, but I mean, it's like, I didn't even know that many denominations existed. And then not only that, the amount of churches and their leadership teams that fly from other countries to come to Atlanta during that 
the work that they're doing, when we say global church, normally when you go to conferences like what you guys put on or you write curriculum like you guys do, it usually is denominationally based. What you all are doing, it, it goes so beyond those borders. I mean, it really is profound. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Um, just to back up, because I'm nosy and I love people's <laughs> stories, can you just tell us a little bit about your own uh, growing up years, your family, like maybe your, where you were in the birth order, were you shy, <laughs> were you an overachiever, you know, et cetera? Sure. I was born in Houston, Texas. Um, and so that's where I grew up most of the early years of my life. And my family was Church of Christ. Talk about a denomination. So there were no musical instruments in my church when I grew up. Oh. Um, and that was, you know, the, I guess that my church home for Sunday school and for Sunday mornings. And uh, one time, actually, a friend of mine invited me to go to Awana and my mom allowed me to go to Awana. And if you don't, or if you're not deep in the denominational world, Awana is Baptist, which for Church of Christ is equivalent to out of the faith. And so <laughs> I, I started going to Awana and I, my mom tells a story of one night tucking me in when I looked at her and said, I think I might be a Baptist when I grow up. And our neighbor started praying for me immediately. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was, I was in Houston. I was the firstborn. Uh, I exhibit all the qualities that you think of when you think of a firstborn, very, <laughs> very stereotypical firstborn child. Uh, another family story they would tell about me. There was one time I was lost in the, in the church of Christ and uh, they were trying to, my parents were trying to find me. And somebody told them they should probably check the pulpit. Um, <laughs> you know, I love that. Definitely not a thing I would be allowed to do, but it was, uh, yeah, I mean, I had, I was always pretty vocal about what I thought and what I believed and, didn't really hold any punches. Um, <laughs> I have one younger sister who's four years younger. And so my whole life, I was very protective of her, did a lot of things to look out for her. I still feel very deeply protective of her, probably will for the rest of my life. We're very close. Um, she's my only sibling. We were growing up pretty far from any grandparents or cousins. And I'm going to say far. They were also in Texas, just the very opposite end. So they were oh, out yeah. Lubbock, Midland, Odessa, Muleshoe, Earth, uh, you're talking Panhandle, um, anybody that's out there. I mean, it's a very small town demographic. Um, that's my extended family. And then when I was around third grade, actually the very last few weeks of third grade, my family moved to Atlanta, Georgia. And that was pretty challenging time for me, I guess, in the third grade and get into all the, the things. But we moved. Um, and around that time, uh, some stuff started going on in our family. It just some things started to kind of unravel um, a little bit. It was when I was in the seventh grade that my parents uh, split on Christmas Day. And their divorce was finalized when I was in the eighth grade. So a lot of middle school mm. uh, challenges in terms of redefining family and redefining faith values. You know, growing up in a, a faith system where that was not ever a possibility you know, it was never a thing that was imagined and how to take the faith that I felt so passionate about and so strongly about and then hold on to Jesus in a season when a lot of things seemed like they were unraveling around me. Um, but I, I graduated from high school in Atlanta, Georgia. I ended up going back to college through a series of very 
strange events um, back in Texas, in Waco, Texas, at Baylor University. Mm -hmm. And at Baylor was when I decided that I was going to go into education. And I uh, started doing a lot of practical things, you know, in the classrooms, fell in love with the classrooms. I still just have this thing inside me. I believe teachers are some of the best people on the planet. Amen. I just always will. They are the heroes of our community. They have given their lives. Most of the people in the classroom, and there are exceptions. I get that. There are some people out there, maybe not the stellar, you know, heroes of our community, but so many educators are in this because it's a calling. Mm -hmm. It's not there for the paycheck, but they are giving their lives on the front lines for the future of a generation. And um, I just fell in love with the potential of the classroom mm-hmm. to influence kids and to be there for kids when they were going through whatever they were facing in life in these formative years. Um, and from there, of course, I was still volunteering in ministry. And there was always kind of the struggle between, you know, in church, you get to talk about things about faith and things about Jesus and things that feel really essential to life. And in school, you have to kind of, you know, talk about all that, but just without Jesus. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. That was kind of the dynamic. I left Baylor. I went back to Georgia. I started teaching high school. I taught high school for a few years. And when I, um, my transition out of that was, I thought I was going to go back and advance my education degree and stay in the education system. And when I started pursuing graduate schools, I went to everybody who was going to write a review for me and say, you know, Kristen should be in this education graduate school and here's why. And every one of them said, now tell me again why you're not going to seminary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. Wow. And so I, I went, uh, okay. And so I started looking at some seminaries and uh, ended up leaving to get my master's of divinity. And that's where um, Susan, a lot of, there's so much, I was laughing the whole way through the story you were telling, thinking we had, we were probably sitting in the row at 722 together. Um, <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> um, in my high school years, I was at Dunwoody Baptist uh, youth group, and that was actually where 722. Yes! Oh my, oh heaven, my yes, goodness! That's where I was in 1996. I was sneaking in the doors of 722 before I was allowed, technically, right? Because no I was like, "You're in high school, yeah." And uh, <laughs> and then went out. Of course, being a Baylor, that's where the Giglios had their yes. initial college ministry, and a lot of similar names. And I went to the original one day, if you were out there, oh, like my fields, you know, in the big fields okay. in Tennessee, drove out there. And it wasn't until I came back to Georgia to teach high school um, that I saw North Point Church for the first time because it was the first time they had a building, they had a ministry. I ended up interning for Reggie Joyner and his youth pastor, Kevin Ragsdale at the time, yes. um, in the summer right before I started teaching high school. So when I went back to seminary, um, Reggie and I'd had this conversation for a few years where he would say, now, Kristen, when are you going to come work for me? And I would always answer, well, Reggie, when are you going to tell me what the job is? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I'm like, I have college loans. Like, I need a real paycheck. I can't just show up. <laughs> yeah. So once I was going back to seminary, I, I was kind of like, I'll do whatever. <laughs> I'll do whatever you say. I just need a, you know, something. And I joined Reggie the year that he left North Point. And we were starting this thing called Orange and having meetings in bowling alleys. I mean, it was just, it was scrappy. There was a handful of people on staff. And I laughed so hard at your description of the very first Orange Conference at the Cobb Galleria. We were... <laughs> That's where it was. <laughs> registration systems broke. I mean, everything that went wrong. <laughs> Francis Chan was speaking and the lights went out. Yes. Uh, I, I was going to say what, what I remember Francis Chan at that yeah. conference. But anyway, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's, that is my story in a nutshell. Five minutes or less, right? 
That's that is so good. What a story, Kristen. Do you think? Do you think going through those hard junior high years, where your family foundation kind of shook, your faith foundation kind of shook, do you think that maybe added or you know helped birth passion for you now to turn around and help shepherd other? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, in many, many ways. I don't even think I would be able to articulate all the ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, coming out of something that was, you know, painful for me. And I think every single one of us, we share what we have in common is pain, right? Your yes. pain may be different than my pain and our perceived, you know, levels of pain are all, all over the map and all different. You really can't compare. That's a mistake we often make. Um, but I think out of any of our areas of pain, there's going to be something that motivates us maybe for the rest of our life. Um, in yeah. What we do. Yeah. How, how Jesus takes brokenness and, and lets something grow and thrive out of it is just so beautiful. Yeah. So beautiful. It really is. Um, so now you're parenting three amazing kids. Yes. And so um, I, here's a question I have. I think um, being in the ministry sometimes you feel like there's a little spotlight on your family. Hmm. So um, my question is, do you ever find yourself struggling? Which clearly every parent (laughs) struggles. So the answer to that would be yes. But um, knowing what you know through everything and the way you're leading families, um, what would you say to parents that do feel like they're struggling or they do feel overwhelmed or um, they do have regrets in their parenting? Every parent struggles. Every single parent struggles. And... Most of us have no idea the level to which each one of us is struggling and what we're dealing with. Uh, One of the things that I watch and think is an interesting phenomenon is early on, parents of young kids often take to Facebook to crowdsource some of their struggles, like, help me get my baby to sleep, you know, help me, what am I doing if my baby spits up and if they're throwing a tantrum and, you know, every parent on Facebook is an expert, so everybody's got a solution, (laughs) everybody jumps in. And so there are some common struggles, I think, especially in the early years, some that are not as common, um, but some that are more public and more shareable. I tend to notice that a lot of parents, once their kids hit the preteen, middle school years, and then definitely in the older season, are no longer crowdsourcing. And working in youth ministry, volunteering in youth ministry, and hearing the stories of a lot of families, good families, good parents, parents who want to do right by their kids, parents who care about their kids' future, they are going through stuff that oftentimes we don't know how to name and we feel like if we say something, there's risk and there's a lot of fear and there's shame involved. There's just so much involved. So just, I think for all of us, it's important to remember you're not alone. Every single parent is struggling with something Mm -hmm. and you're going to have to find somebody where you have a safe place to reach out. And and the other part of it that I get really passionate about, and I will go back, Katie, you mentioned, you know, my own life story and how it affects the way I think about things. I am deeply passionate at wanting parents to understand how adequate they are. Mm. We overemphasize our inadequacies. We see all the ways that maybe, you know, generations have handed down mess to us. And so we're going to hand down more mess to our kids. And we just tend to overemphasize those things. And we underemphasize what matters more, which is you really do have what your kid needs the most. And if you can focus on what you're already doing right, and you can just do that a little tiny bit more, that is the key. That's the key, I think, to every kind of parenting. Shame doesn't make you a better parent. 
Yeah. Oh, is that good? Yeah. <laughs> right now, Boy, yeah. Who, yeah. who needs to hear that message today? Yeah. That is, the, I mean, that's the secret sauce. Shame does not make you a better parent. That it's is so good. But, but do what you're already doing right. And, mm-hmm. and uh, oh, I like that, Kristen. I like that. Yeah. Um, here, I'm writing this down. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, the one thing, I, here's the question I have is when you are talking with families, what would, you, no, this is not on your, on your list of questions. So I'm kind of going rogue here for a second. Okay, but, we're good. Um, when you are talking to families and you've got a family, cause I think, you know, when you're, when you're working with families, when they are in crisis is when, especially the older the child gets, that's when you're going to see them the most because they're in crisis. They need to know what to do. And if you are looking at a family in crisis and I don't even know how to phrase this question. What is, when you're toe to toe with a family that is in crisis, what would be your number one thing that you would say to a mom or to a dad that um, whether it's, because here's, here's what I'm finding out. Hmm. We are the very first generation of parents to have to parent without knowledge of something. Usually you can go to the generation behind you to fill the gap with something. Hmm. But when you're speaking about technology, the generation behind us doesn't have that knowledge to hand off. Like if you're talking about baking or finding a job or any of that kind of stuff, you can say to your mom and dad, Hey, what did you do for me when this happened? But when you're talking about technology mm-hmm. and you've got a family that's toe to toe with you in crisis with technology, um, what would you say? Because I, I will say this out of all the families that are coming to me now, this is their number one issue. Yeah. Is it really? Susan? I don't know how to navigate these phones. I don't know how to navigate the internet. I don't, and it's not for their lack of trying. <laughs> it is not. They are good moms and good dads. But I will tell you what, they feel they feel about this big. They they feel worthless. They feel like they can do not add up, like you were just talking about. And they they are trying to find every resource they can find to help them navigate this, this technological age. So if you're toe to toe with a family in crisis over this technological age, that's a better question. That just took me 10, 10 minutes. And <laughs> I, I'm going to think out louder. And I sit here and think if I get, this is why Gwen gives us questions ahead of time. Cause I start here and then I go around my elbow to get to my thumb to ask it. Oh my heavens. So if you're toe to toe in crisis with a family over technology for this generation, what would you say? Right. You're, Absolutely right at all of our feelings of inadequacy about technology. Um, The thing that I tell myself that makes me feel better, (laughs) I believe that this is true, but you can choose to disagree. I don't think as parents we have to be smarter than our kids about technology in order to parent them through technology, which is good news because we're not going to be. None of us are going to be. But we do have to understand what it means to be a good human to parent our kids through technology. And if we come back to the humanity side of it, there is nothing new under the sun. We go, Mm. okay, you know what? Sexual temptation is not new. It's new that it's accessible. It's new that it's online. It's new that it's more prevalent. It's new that it's uninvited. I mean, so many different dynamics, but that's not new in some ways. And, um, you know, bully, there's so many issues that show up on technology that are just human issues. And if you can take your fears of the device itself or the platforms or feeling inadequate, to navigate all these systems out of the equation and just go, you're trying to help your kid learn how to be a good human. 
And that has to extend to their physical relationships, to their school relationships, and to their technology relationships and the way they use devices. I think it helps us just kind of lean in and feel like we can take a deep breath. Um, and I also think research here is really important to show that our kids' failures are not the enemy. Um, our kids are going to fail. And one of the hardest things for me as a parent personally is knowing that I can't protect my kids from their own failures and I can't protect them from what harm might be done to them by other people, right? Just that I can't, I can't control that. It's just way outside of my realm of control. And just knowing that it's inevitable is terrifying as a parent. But it's also important to remember that their failure is actually not the problem. The problem is going to be if they don't know how to respond when it happens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so like in my own home just recently, and I have lots of things I've done wrong. This one I felt like was just a teeny that I think I was like, okay, that's, that's what I would hope to do. Um, my son in his classroom, they all of a sudden started talking about Momo. If you remember, it happened a few, it's not new, but for whatever reason, it was new to his classroom and they started talking about the Momo challenge and all this stuff. Well, he came home having heard about it and looked it up online and it's a scary image and his sisters were there. And so all of the children were scared and I came home and, you know, it was kind of one of these like, Hey, this happened today. All the kids are scared and they saw Momo and I was able in that instance to lean on some research and go, okay, your curiosity is not bad and you're never going to be in trouble for, for being curious. You know, God made us curious. God made us curious for a reason and curiosity leads to great discovery. Sometimes our curiosity leads us places we never intended to go and it can be scary or we can be, you know, not sure that we were supposed to go there. And just to kind of have conversations with your kids along the way going, okay, your sense of exploration is fine. And you might've set out with good intent or you maybe knew exactly what you were clicking on. I don't know, but you're not going to get in trouble for that right now. Um, The bigger picture as a parent is lean into that relationship, fight for your kid's heart and say, I just want you to know we can always talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Always talk about that. I love that. I, I will say this. I think that just freed up some mamas that were listening to this. I mean, I really, I love that you're saying too about, we really, we really just want them to be kind humans. We want uh-huh, them uh-huh. and whether whatever um, is com- coming at them, whether it's virtual or in person mm. at the end of the day, it's about the kind of human that we are guiding and leading. Kristen, yep. that is good. That is so good. good. good, good. Susan, I'm keeping you on speed dial. I am. (laughs) (laughs) I need encouragers in my life. (laughs) No, this is just good. This is good. All right. So tell me this. um, Tell our listeners, what is the Rethink Group and what is the Orange Strategy? Well, the Rethink Group is our LLC because Orange is a telecom company in Europe. So we can't own that. (laughs) (laughs) I have often wondered. <laughs> that's just exactly what it is. So that's uh we're a nonprofit organization and Orange is our imprint. And the reason we went with Orange was from the very very beginning, way back, you know, when it was first kicking off, we wanted to go, what is, you know, what's a logo or a theme or an imprint that will explain our message. And our message is pretty simple. Uh we use the color yellow to represent the light of the church the light of Christ that we have because of our faith. 
And we use the color red to represent the warmth of the home, the heart of the home, the love in the home. And we just simply say, when the light of the church and the heart of the home come together, they align and they form a stronger, more vibrant imprint in the life of a generation. That's the color orange. Um, orange oh, greater my impact. goodness. Truthfully, <laughs> I never heard that. I never knew that. Now, uh, I mean, obviously, I went to the first Orange Conference. I must have been out getting a cup of coffee when someone explained that. <laughs> it might have been when the lights went out. Yeah, yeah. there you go. <laughs> I'm not kidding, Kristen. That, Isn't it beautiful? I just feel kind of choked up. That is yeah. beautiful. Well, and I'll tell you this. We've, um, we live in an area, Kristen, that is high, um, high transition. We have a lot of transient people. And because we've got Quantico here in the government with DC, um, like 80% of our, um, our church that we're a part of, they commute to DC every day. So we have a lot every three years of people moving in and out. And usually at the end of their three-year term, they'll come and they'll say, we're moving to Saskatchewan somewhere. And they'll say, tell me where uh, to go to church. And this is what I say. You need to find a church that has implemented some sort of orange strategy because you know what they're teaching is trying to unite the home and the church together. And I'm telling you, Uh. create better humans. One of the things that I love um, during the first grow up conference or whatever, yeah, the first grow up conference I went to, we were exiting the theater and um, to the right of the theater, it said, what happens at home is more important than what happens at church. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I love that because yes. that's a, that is a, um, a thought shift from mm-hmm. the way I was raised. Mm-hmm. And um, I love that it's now the church working to help support and partner with the home. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's beautiful. It's creating and beautiful humans. Being a, a Marine Corps family our, myself, we moved around all the time. And when we did get involved with a strong church that had um, not just programs for kids, mm. but really invested in kids and celebrated kids. And, and um, it, I don't know, things were just so different. Yeah. And then we'd moved to another place that had nothing. And although our home life and our home strategy was the same, there was a hole. Yeah. And, and literally, I can look back on different different ones of my kids. Now I have four. They're all adults by now, obviously. But I mean, some of them really missed out because we were not in a place that had a church partnering with us at a key time in their life. Other ones, like my oldest son, I don't know, he just hit it right. And he just loves the Lord with all his heart. And he just loves scripture. And he's just, of course, he's my firstborn too. (laughs) Anyway, anyway, I love that the red and the yellow and combined and they make orange. Tell it, tell us more about the orange strategy, Kristen, because that's just so beautiful. Well, I love that you referenced that we do have multiple denominations because we we believe that what unites us is what matters most. It's much more important than what divides us. And so everything we do is focused on prioritizing what Jesus prioritized, which is the great commandment. All of our training and strategies are anchored to the great commandment and the three relationships that we believe that it, you know, exonifies. So uh, loving God first and foremost with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength 
having a right view of yourself um, through that perspective and then the way that you extend that love to others. Everything that we do comes back to love at the center and those three relationships. Um, and that I think is part of what unites all the many denominations, all the many nations that are using orange is going, okay, we want to put the love of Jesus at the center of everything that we do. We want to cooperate with the people who are most personally and relationally close to a child, which would be their parents, their caregivers, whoever is in the home taking care of that child on a daily basis. And the mentor who will show up consistently in their life. And it may be multiple mentors. Um, It may be a Sunday school teacher, or it may be a small group leader. It may be a soccer coach that just catches the, you know, strategy and goes, I want to be a part of this team. I want to be in this kid's life um, to give them a better future. And so um, we are hyper-focused on the next generation and on bringing leaders together collectively to influence kids to have a better faith and, and a better future. I love that. I love it so much. Kristen, we ask every single guest the exact same last question. And if you could leave us with one thought out of everything that we've talked about, what would it be? Hmm. That is a hard question. (laughs) (laughs) Especially because we've talked about some good things. And there's so much. I know. I know. I think that each one of us just needs to be reminded of, Susan, what you've reminded us of today, which is that your story is powerful and everybody has a story and that story is needing to be told um, for the sake of loving others and that each one of us kind of needs to reclaim that. Mm. And there can be temptations for us to allow other people to tell their story, you know, in weird ways, especially reference technology, looking on Instagram going, well... I don't have that many likes or that many follows or, you know, my family doesn't look like that family or we're just a hot mess or like whatever you want to think about your own um, story. I think we're all tempted to, to discount the power of our own story. Uh-huh. So just lean into that and go, because of your story, you have exactly what somebody needs around you uh, to love mm-hmm. them, whether it's a kid in your own life, in your own home, a niece, a nephew, a kid that you encounter in your neighborhood on a consistent basis, whatever that is. Um, But lean into reclaiming your story because there's a generation coming along behind you that needs you to do that. Oh, I love that. That's beautiful. Oh, I love that. We're doing this uh, book club, Kristen, and the book is You Are the Girl for the Job. And it really speaks to exactly what you just said, that you are the girl to parent your own kids. Yes. Um, no matter what you feel, you feel inadequate, you feel yeah. like you're doing a terrible job. No, God has given you that job and you're the girl and he'll yeah. equip you. You're, you're the girl to love that neighborhood. Mm, that's it. You know, kid that you're in relationship. Why? Because God put you there. He loves you and he's equipped you. And it's his power through us yes. for parenting, for doing ministry, um, I just love it. And the, and, and the way you guys have conferences and bring in teams like Susan, like, like our team from church, and then you guys go back and make churches so alive and fun. I'm, I'm mentoring these two young moms and just um, so excited that they have 
a children's ministry at our church that is so alive and powerful and vibrant because these moms tell me some of the things that these little elementary kids mm-hmm. come home with <laughs> that yeah. so-and-so said, so-and-so did. What about this? What about that? And I'm like, parenting today is so <laughs> challenging. These yeah. little kids are exposed to so much. And, yeah. and I said, wow. I knew raising my own kids how important it was to have to for Mike and I to partner with the church and programs like Awana or whatever we had back then in Sunday school. And um, but I said, boy, in this day and age, if you could take kids to a church where Sunday morning is like the best day of the week for them because they love it, they learn, they're laughing, they're they're being given real tools to navigate this world. Um, they're they're being given hope. They're being given a glimpse that you can have a best friend named Jesus. Um, I'm like, why would you not? Oh my goodness, why would you not avail your, yourself yeah. of that for your kids? Yeah. And um, I love, I do yeah. love seeing the partnership so much in um, in families with the church, and then watching their kids do something that the parents were not expecting, mm. um, and they're. Um, their eyes light up with, it is a good thing to widen the circle of influence around oh, my kids. so good. We all need somebody who can just remind us every week, hey, I see something good in your kid and I see something mm. good in you. I see something good in your family because all of us, again, we just, we tend to drift in the negative. We need a champion yeah. in our corner and the local church can be phenomenal at providing those answers. Um, but look for those people who will look at your kids and go, they are wonderful. Um, they're wonderful. They're wonderful. You need reminders. That's so good. Kristen, thank you for being with us. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. This you are a gift. You are absolutely you a gift. truly are. And not just to us and our listeners in this podcast episode, but literally to the world through the work yeah. you're yeah. doing to help um, churches and families partner for the next generation. Thank you for your hard work, honey. Thank you so much, Katie. This has been really a bright spot in the day. <laughs> good, good, good. good. <laughs> Listeners, if you know of a family um, of a mom or a dad that needs to hear this, we just ask that you share this episode because I think the, the wisdom that she even said um, that shame doesn't make you a better parent. I think some mama needs to hear that today. Uh-huh. A lot of times. Um, I feel like the episode from Dirty Dancing where we're putting baby in a corner and it's us putting our own selves in a corner. And I think that doesn't how God wants us to parent. He wants us to thrive in our parenting and he wants us to know he has equipped us with every good work for his glory and the good of our kids. And so um, share this today, share this today. And, and one last practical question, then I'll let you go. Um, <laughs> that, that those course books you were talking yeah. about, Susan, that you- Oh, the phase guide, said, yeah. The phase guide. Where, where would a listener get a set of those? Kristen, how could they get yeah. those? Um, so I would encourage you to go to parentq.com. Mm-hmm. We have a store on ParentQ where you can find all kinds of parenting resources, including the guides. And just a quick word about the guides. The guides are really um, text light. They're created to be a lot more like a workbook um, because we know that you already want to be a good parent. We know that you already know how to parent your kid better than any author out there ever will know because you know your kid. So they are designed to ask strategic questions for you to respond and then to give you little nuggets of advice. So I always like to preface it with that because if you're expecting like, you know, if you're a big reader and you want like a big chunk of text to read, it's just not going to feel like that um, because it's designed more to be a guide 
to help you be the parent you want to be to your kids specifically in the phase they're in. But that is a parent cue store. I love that. Oh boy, I love that. Yeah. All right. We uh, we give um, the, like the baby one Mm -hmm. um, during our parent child dedications. And they're, I mean, they look like cliff notes, Katie. Yeah, they are. They're teeny. (laughs) I mean, they're teeny. But they have got so much wisdom in those few pages that it makes you dog ear all the pages and then you flip to it. Like, I mean, you flip to it. And I I will tell you when, when our kids first came home, I had one for each of their ages. And that is what I even used to pray over my kids because I didn't even know what I was supposed to be praying for because I didn't know, like, I didn't know what a six-year-old needed. I'd never had a six-year-old. And so I would open it up and I'm like, okay, this is what she's thinking. So this is what I need to be praying. So I almost used it as a prayer guide. You know what I mean? I just think they would make such lovely gifts. I have, um, Two right. daughter-in-laws and yes. uh, four, five, four grandkids, one on the way. And yeah. I'm like, mm. I think they need to be given at every baby shower that somebody goes to. I, yeah. They need to go in every stocking stuffer. I mean, I, I'm not <laughs> kidding you because they are a lifeline for a parent that feels like they don't know what they're doing. And what parent does just immediately <laughs> know all the ins and outs? I mean, didn't we all, we all have questions? Oh, of about, course. Um, my okay, line, right, my line right now to my kids is, you know what? I have never parented this age of a child and you've never <laughs> been this age of a child. Mm-hmm. So we're doing this together for the first time. We're doing it together. So let's yeah. give each but other I've got a what I grief. need to parent you. You've got what you need to be a kid. So let's figure this out together. <laughs> That's great. I love that. That's so. great. <laughs> All right, listeners. Well, we love you guys. And um, we look forward to seeing you guys again next week. Kristen, thank you again so much. Thank you thank guys you so much. much. I appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Kristen. Love you all. Bye. Bye. Bye.